you've grown your business for a large part with social media and continue to grow it. And so I think that there's still questions that people have of what is the ROI of this activity? You know, why would we invest the time to you know, kind of build our brand and to communicate, create content uh, when it's not necessarily right away producing the you know revenue in the pocket? Uh, but I think that uh, you can speak really well to, you know, to, to how that happens. So uh, anything for sure. the community that you'd like to share before we kind of start with the podcast? Well, let's, let's begin with the end in mind in here. You know, it's, it's ironic that you start off with that question because last week, I didn't take it by the way, but last week I had a firm offer me $15.5 million for my business. So, so I guess, I guess I'd say to everybody, you know, when you begin with the end in mind and saying, is this all worth it? Okay. Well, when somebody knocks on your door and says, Hey, I'm willing to pay you, you know, eight figures plus for your business. Isn't that, isn't that what you want to have? Happen? Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We've got a great one in store for you. In case you happen to miss the last episode, here's a quick snippet and then we will get on to the show. What happens if we don't do this work? right? You don't make that sale. You don't have a leadership team that's ready. You make sales that you can't deliver on. You lose X number of customers. You can't get your customer success rates, retention rates from 75% to 93%, whatever your targets are. What's the value of that? So finding ways to quantify it in the client's world and words um, helps you establish what your value is. your door and says hey i'll pay you a lot of money for what you built yeah i think that that's phenomenal yeah the thing is what is the possibility of what you could accomplish or what are what are the outcomes and then how is it you can position yourself for the most opportunity to allow that to happen and position yourself to create that opportunity All right yeah for, for sure you know it's um it's a really interesting question to start this because that's that's the money piece the, the unintended consequence of all of all this, um, I would say, isn't always about ROI. You know, I, um, of course, the ROI everyone cares about because you want to, you know, make money. But there's so many lives that I, I've been able to touch over time that I, I, I meet people in different places that said, yeah, I've been following your stuff for four years and it changed my business. And I, I couldn't even imagine when I started this that I would even remotely have that kind of influence on other people's lives. And so there's, there's a, a non ROI piece of this that's real gratifying about helping other people do better in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's start there. So how did you start to go down this path and decide to kind of approach things in this way? Uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about that story. How did everything really get started? Yeah, so I spent uh, almost 17 years working for a major corporation. It was American Express, and then in 2005, it turned Ameriprise Financial. And um, I was able to meet with the CEO, who was a great guy, and he basically said that they were still going to be a proprietary investment company, really sell their own products. And it was just, 
it's not where I saw the future of the industry. So I decided to quit a, a high six figure paying job, which believe me is not easy, especially when you have to tell your wife. Uh, and I decided to open up what's today called Oxygen Financial, which is O X Y Gen Financial. And I said, if everybody in the industry is focused on the baby boomers and the retirees, maybe I'll focus on all the young people that are that are growing. And the way I got into this is that when I started the company, I said I'm not going to do any traditional marketing like old firms done. I'm not going to do dinner seminars. I'm not going to go to networking functions. I'm not going to do um, referral alliances. I, I simply am going to figure out this whole internet social media thing and figure out how to get people to come to me. And that's when I started to self-teach myself back when LinkedIn and, and Facebook, not really quite as big and figure out, well, how does this all work? And that's, that's how it started. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like to focus all of these conversations on, you know, on the guests like yourself and to have them share their stories. But I, I have to share this my personal experience from really seeing what you accomplished that I think would be really helpful for everybody. And so the, the, from here, it's so interesting that you say that. So I was kind of looking, I'm also obviously an, an advisor and was kind of looking at, okay, how is it that I could maybe build a network at scale? How could I leverage these tools to really figure out how to engage with people? And instead of me having to go out and hunt for them to kind of have them to reach out and have conversations with me, any of us that are in a sales background know that if you just speak with enough people, if you get in front of them, you can speak and uncover needs and you can, you can sell. So the thing is, if you can just get more people funneled to be in front of you, you can do more business. So then right. I happened to be listening at that time to uh, Michael Kitsis podcast as I was trying to understand right. how people grow their businesses, right. In the financial industry. And so uh, for those that don't know, Michael Kitsis has probably the number one financial advisor success podcast in the country, maybe the world. But uh, so Ted was, was on the podcast and I would never heard of Ted Jenkins before. I was listening to his story, heard, you know, this about leaving from American Express, start your own own business, and then essentially how you grew grew everything. And I was so impressed with the story of how you accomplished that, that from there I tried to see, I read the notes and Ted, uh, uh, Michael Kitsis has such detailed notes in, in his podcast, read through everything, saw how, to, how you were positioned online on Facebook and LinkedIn. And I can't remember if it was on LinkedIn or Facebook, but you had some other information there of how to get some more information. You had some resources for financial advisors to learn how to leverage social media and uh, to interact with clients. And so from there, I followed that. I got to another page where pretty much we needed to enter an email to gain access to a 60 minute webinar. And I said, I said, wow. So in 60 minutes, I can learn so much about this and there's more information. So I said, wow, no problem. Put my email. I got the the 60 minute webinar. And, uh, and I took seven pages of notes and it was so much value and it just blew my mind, all these different concepts. And at the very end of that, there was a call to action. I think it was $999. Right. right. I, was, <laughs> I really was so compelled to really just to pay that just to continue to learn if I, so I work for Merrill Lynch at the moment and uh, I was not at that moment really looking to try to move. I'm not trying to move really at the moment either. Uh, but looking at that, um, I thought, wow, if I was on my own at the moment, or if I was really looking to step off, there's no question I would pay this money and it would be well worth it. And so I thought, wow, I never met Ted Jenkins before. I never, I've only heard him. I haven't even seen him. 
And this guy from another part of the country got me to a point of sale of a thousand dollars really compelled to pay it. And I thought, wow. So if Ted could do this, I could do this. If this yes. happened to me right now, this is happening at scale all over the world. And I said, I have to learn how to do this. And it was just a huge light bulb that went off and I've always been focused on sales, but this is a whole nother idea of being able to attract your ideal client. And so at any rate, I'm sure that that will be instructive for some people. And, and so at any rate, that that's exactly it. So I think that was, was really awesome. Well, it, it, it's um it's a great point that you bring up because I've always been the kind of person I think people have, I think people have the way to get to success backwards. Okay. And I think it's, it's interesting hearing that story because a lot of people feel like I've got to get motivated to do something. Right. And then I'll take action. So it's like, if I want to be, you know, more physically fit, I got to get motivated to start running, then I'll start running and then action will happen. And I've always been a believer that it actually works the other way that you, you could know nothing about nothing, just start taking action. You're, you're, that's going to get you more motivated to figure it out. And that, that is, especially with social media for a lot of people, if you're not big into it, you can, you can read 8 million blogs and stories and podcasts and webcasts, but at some point you just have to take action and fail because everyone's journey is going to be slightly different. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you, when you started this, so you, you already had the financial knowledge and you had the business sort of knowledge, you wanted to start the business and you wanted to then start to grow it. What was your background and your experience with social media or with marketing up to that point? Well, to say that I knew less than zero would probably be high. I mean, I, I literally knew nothing about this stuff. I'm just like, Hey, what's going on with all this, you know, internet stuff. I gotta, I gotta figure it out. And my, my life for me changed in this, um, big time. Cause I, I was kicking the can around a little bit, trying some different stuff. <clears throat> and, um, I can't remember whether it was 2010 or 2011. There was the first financial bloggers conference. It was, it was called FinCon, which more people know FinCon today. And uh, I can't remember whether I flew to Chicago or flew to Denver, but I, I showed up and I thought I'm going to be in front of all these financial advisors and we're going to talk about our businesses and what people are doing. And, and I go to this first cocktail reception. I'm like, Hey man, Ted Jenkins, oxygen financial. And this guy's like, um, I'm Mr. Money mustache. I was like, what the, what in the, what's a, all right, man, your firm's not named Mr. Money mustache, is it? He's like, what do you mean my firm? And I go, well, how much money do you manage? And the guy's like, I don't manage any money. I go, well, do you sell insurance? He's like, no, nah, I don't sell any insurance. I was like, well, wait a minute. How do you make money? And the guy's like, I run my blog. And I go, what do you mean you run your blog to make money? And, and the only financial advisors that were at, at that conference at the time were Michael Kitsis, uh, myself, uh, a guy named Jeff Rose, uh, who a lot of people know Jeff's name, uh, and, and a couple of other ones. And I would say 95% of this was like coupon mom. It was like, you know, J money, uh, you know, obviously Philip Taylor, PT money. And, 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 and I'm, I'm learning how people build lead conversion funnels. I had never really seen it before, but bloggers by nature make their money mostly on affiliate advertising, embedded click-through links, 
creating massive funnels to sell their courses. And to say that I was blown away, I, I, I went there for three days and I thought, I didn't even know what I was just at. I, I, you know, and and the, the most impactful guy for me though was a guy named Len Penzo. And a lot of people have never heard of Len Penzo, but Len Penzo, uh, I think he's lenpenzo.com still is really what it is. And he talked about this art of writing titles to get people to open content. And that's where it really changed for me because my blogs, my LinkedIn post, I was writing, you know, you know, I want to say sketchy titles, but titles that were edgy. And, uh, you know, in a world that we're in, that's a highly regulated business. You know, people are like, you're going to get in big compliance trouble. And then when I'd send them up to compliance and compliance would say, we don't care if you want to be edgy, just don't talk about securities. And, uh, and so I started writing these really edgy articles and titles and more people were clicking on it. And I'm like, huh, there's got to be something to this. And that's how, that's how this, you know, where it really germinated for me to get, get really good at, at what I'm doing on, on social media. That's really, that's really interesting. And so, yeah, Mr. Mustache, that's hilarious. <laughs> Mr. Money Mustache. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is hilarious. That like, that will just stick with you in your mind. It, you would just never, so that by itself is a lesson. Uh, Okay, so you have uh, you're you're writing the the blog posts, and things have developed from when there were blog posts, and how things have developed since then in terms of the ways to interact. So from there, how did things sort of develop and mature for the next sort of steps with the marketing for you? Well, what happened is that I saw a lot of uh, uh, financial advisors for many years do these Saturday Sunday advertorial type radio shows. Typically, they were annuity guys that would be doing these shows like. I'm Joe Smith, the retirement guy here on Sunday, you know, and, and I was saying, you know, man, I don't feel like the next couple of generations really buy that, that kind of radio. And I wanted to do radio here locally. And there was a local morning show called the regular guys, which were four guys that basically they were half, uh, you know, probably, um, you know, edgy political show and half like Howard Sternish. And um, I said, I went to the radio station. I said, hey, I, I want to be like their finance guy. And I noticed they were doing a segment with a DUI lawyer where they'd have people call in and talk about DUIs and stuff like that. And, and I started to do the segment with them. And it was really super edgy. I mean, they would, they would ask me all kinds of stuff. It was, it was all, I was always a guest. It was never scripted. Um, and uh, the listeners which was a pretty popular show in Atlanta, started calling our, our office. And they're just like, hey, I heard you on the regular guys. I want to do business with you. And it was so easy to get business because we were building this relationship with them. And from doing the regular guys, it led me to doing NBC TV here locally. I started doing some local segments. And then five years ago or so, it, it started to lead me to do CNN's headline news on the weekend. And that's, that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. And I still do radio here. Um, but, but, uh, that, that radio segment changed for me in Atlanta in a big way, like who we were and people knowing our company and, uh, seeing us as somebody who we weren't these vanilla middle of the road financial people, you know, we actually had an opinion. We took a stance. We, we said stuff and, and people liked it. That's awesome. And now you mentioned building a relationship and with the audience, and so yeah. for a traditional business owner, maybe this concept of how you're building a relationship through social media or through this content, 
uh, I almost imagine is, is something that's hard to grasp initially. So yeah. what are your thoughts on how you're building a relationship and how does it translate from the content to, you know, money in the pocket? How is that, how's that relationship uh, created? So let me tell everybody two, two guiding principles here uh, or guiding statements, whatever you want to call them. To, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent certain at this point, it's not even 99%. It's a hundred percent certain at this point that if you want to be successful on social media at all, you cannot be Switzerland. So if you want to be the kind of person that gets on social media and you post up very generic or you have a person who's third party posting for you generic uh, articles, you might as well not do it. It's not going to help you. Social people by nature want to talk to people that have an opinion. It's what makes them interesting. It doesn't mean your opinion's right and it doesn't mean your opinion's wrong. It just means you have an opinion. It's why the Kardashians have been so successful. People will say, oh, well, Kim Kardashian, she does nothing. I'm like, well, pay me 20 million to do nothing. I'd be happy to do it. But she actually does. They have very definite opinions about fashion and style and, and they'll say whatever they want. Now, hate them or like them, it doesn't matter because if half the world hates them and half the world likes them, they don't need everybody to, to do business with them. And then the second thing is recognize today, and it's how I'm evolving what we're doing in social media, that, that whether or not you like it, the narrative is getting created about you and your company on the internet. It, 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 so either you're going you're gonna to beat that, that to the punch and create the narrative so you can shape people's thinking about who you are, the firm, and what you do, and create that brand, or the internet is going to create the brand for you. And, and it's, it's hard because when you have an opinion, you get nervous because sometimes people are going to disagree and they're going to get upset and every once in a while they're going to call you names. But that is the nature of getting to success on this is that you must not be Switzerland. That's phenomenal. Tell me, so you've now moved into with the marketing as well to be on television on yeah. you know, the CNN and CNBC. So I see a lot of the progression of this from starting to moving towards higher levels of thought leadership. If you can kind of influence on a larger scale with your content, you start to be able to connect with larger people or people that are a different, they're branded differently. Just the fact that you, they would see you on, on TV, that simple shot, it creates a whole different sort of level. How has being, how has, uh, being on TV and having that type of branding been maybe different from when you were on radio or when you were just doing the, um, just doing the, the actual blog post? Any thoughts on, on that or what you would yeah. share with other people on thought leadership or moving to that type of branding? Well, it definitely, what it definitely does in our business is it allows you to scale up to a higher level clientele that you have people that, that, um, if they had to make a choice between three companies, they, they would definitely put you in the mix now because you're seen as more legitimate, right? Um, it definitely improves your ability to get paid to go speak. Uh, and influence other people's. I typically will have two to three speaking engagements a month where I can get paid a significant amount of money to go talk to other people. And I thought, you know, it's kind of funny now, sometimes you'll sign a contract and say, you really want to pay me this much money to go talk for an hour? Um, but, but people will do it. And, um, and I think, you know, what's most interesting to me is that, um, you know, there'll be people who watch you for years that will, will never tell you. 
Um, I've even had uh, cases where I haven't seen a friend of mine from college in five years or, you know, and, and I'll call them up and they're like, yeah, I was in the airport the other day, man. And I, I, I saw you on TV and I was like, really? Where, where'd you see me? And, and, and so um, it, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, uh, it's not what I think people think it is that you're going to have like paparazzi at your door and every restaurant you go into, people are going to shake your hand, but it definitely elevates your ability to bring in a higher level of business. Got it. And for somebody that maybe was wanting to move into that space to say, be on TV, how, what's in terms of the approach to, to get there and the ways to make yeah. those contacts, uh, any, any insight into how somebody would move to be able to do that? Yeah, I, I have a lot of insight into it. You know, um, the, the thing you need to know first is that, um, and I still think this about myself, by the way, is that nobody in TV really cares who you are. So if you get on TV, it's not like it's this big fanfare where you're sitting in the green room getting ready for the Jimmy Fallon show and, and drinking a bourbon. It's just not that way. The most important thing that you can do to help a TV station is write segments. So if you have the ability to basically write a segment, now when I say a segment, 90% of the segments on TV, if you watch them now that I say it, are no more than three minutes. Now every once in a while on CNN, they'll have a seven minute political discussion with Anderson Cooper, but most TV is three minute segments. So if you can talk succinctly, eloquently, and you can write a three minute segment, you can be very valuable. So yesterday, I did uh, a segment on do people marry for love or do they marry for money? Now, we could talk for 20 minutes about that, but I, but I made it into a three-minute segment. And they like that because uh, it runs and they can run it. And it adds into sports, weather, travel, um, and, and that's, that's how it works. So you can go directly to the news directors, the writers there, and say, hey, I've got a story I think would be good. I'm happy to come down and do this. And when you go down, just make it no fanfare, okay? Go in, do your thing, and go home, and then write another one. Um, so the, you're really valuable if you can write the segments. And the only other thing I'll tell you is that TV, what's different about radio is that TV works in infographics. Now, when I say infographics, you'll notice a lot of times that when you're watching a TV segment, they don't show the people who are doing the interview, but there's a little square like there is here uh, up on the screen and it has three bullet points that, that match the discussion a little bit. So you have to write the TV segments in infographics. So like, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote a segment for them on five Valentine's Day gifts that are under $50. And so it isn't gonna be me on the TV like, hey, here's the five Valentine's Day for $50. You know, they're going to show a graphic. And like one of the things I gave them is that I've got a client of mine who owns a rubber ring company called Kalo. A uh, great company. But, you know, I tell them for 20 bucks, you can get a Kalo ring. Or, you know, I tell them there's a thing called uh, Date Crate for $34. You can have a date in a box subscription that you can sign up to. You know, and the other, the other thing I'll tell you is that, um, and you know this because you're in the financial business, is that. Any, anything, any topic you pitch them that is more than an eighth grader level, it's not going to work. So if I went on, I was like, hey, I really want to do a segment on inherited IRAs. They would be like, yeah, that'll suck. So no. 
Um, they want things that appeal to the masses because it, and, and even though people are smart, it doesn't degrade you. It's just that that's, that's what they want. They want, that's why you see the medical segments are very high level, the travel segments. And sometimes you'll watch and be like, Oh, I knew that already. Or, you know, but that, that's the way that they want it. So anything that's really esoteric, um, it just, it, it's not going to work. Super valuable. That was super value rich right there. Uh, let's, let's do this. So we talked a lot about marketing and a lot about that. So for your, as a business owner and for really starting this business, so a couple of, uh, thoughts or questions that I have, you know, for there. So one, you, you had a family when you started and you, you left from American Express to start Oxygen Financial. And so uh, I think that when you take a look at being an entrepreneur, and if you take a look at starting a business with the responsibilities of a family already, it exacerbates the amount of stress and challenges with that. So with having the family and moving there, um, any ways that you helped to sort of make that an easier transition or some of the challenges you had that if you could do it again, maybe you might do it differently? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, being an entrepreneur is tough. You know, if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is tough and 100% it's a lifestyle. So if you're thinking about doing it, I don't think you can ever fully prepare your family for what you're going to face. But I would tell you that rather than thinking about balance, uh, like, oh, I'll spend this much time at work and this much time with my family. I think you have to think about incorporating your family into the business. I always wondered why there was the family restaurants and the family bakeries and stuff like that, because it just is that way. So my family is incorporated into my business. You know, uh, all of my kids are on payroll. Um, they get involved in doing different things in the business. And that doesn't mean they have to come into the business, by the way. It's just, um, there, there's never, there's never a, a stop clock for the business. It's, it, it's, you know, uh, we're here talking today on, on a Sunday. Yesterday I had to go in and do CNN. Uh, I was actually in Texas where you are for three days this week in Austin. And, you know, it, it, it's a never ending train. So you just have to be used to it being a 24 seven deal uh, all the time. I mean, it's uh, any big time entrepreneur will tell you it just the clock never really goes off. Uh, at the same token, the, the great news about it is that there's no boundaries. You don't have a circle. You don't have a, a department telling you no or somebody saying you can't do this or it won't work or that's stupid. Um, and so you can test the limits of your own creativity and imagination. And that's, that's what I enjoy most about it. I enjoy, I'm a, I'm a creator. I enjoy uh, creating things. So, uh, but you, you just, you have to know going into this that you have to incorporate your family into this because you're, you're going to work crazy hours. There's going to be crazy stress and uh, you know, safe return doubtful. You know, that's the, uh, <laughs> it's just the way that it is. Very good. Very good. Yeah. It seems like one of the bigger things is, is to make sure you get the support of your spouse and the family. If you don't have that support and you're trying to do all these things, it's probably gonna be tough to succeed. Totally. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, your 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 spouse has to realize that you know you could be at dinner and have to leave and take a phone call, or you know realize you got to be on the road for three days. I mean, it's if they're not supportive, it will be very difficult. Very good. Well, with growing the business, was there were there was there any significant challenges that you you faced that you could pinpoint and say this was 
really major, major challenge and we had to do this to overcome it or something that you, you know, would, would do over again in a different way as you grew out the, the practice? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when you work for a big corporation, for those of you that are listening that work for a big company, uh, I don't think it'll dawn on you until you leave about how amazing they are at having developed systems, processes, and procedures to make the business run. You know, I thought I was a big, you know, bad guy at American Express, but, you know, I never had to deal with HR. I never, I didn't have to run payroll. Uh, I, you know, I made hiring and firing decisions, but after, you know, all the paperwork was done. And, and when I started the business, I don't think that I developed consistent systems and processes and procedures fast enough. And um, if you start a business, the more that you change the systems and the more that you change what you're doing, the harder it's going to be to scale your business. Um, and, and so I would tell you as, as quickly as you can uh, develop systems, processes, procedures. And then the second mistake that I made is that you have to hire and fire fast. Um, you're going to make some hires in the beginning because you really like people, you know, less thinking about are they the right fit for the organization and just you're going to hire them because you like them and you think you're going to get along. But if you make a bad hiring decision, I waited way too long to fire some people in the early days of oxygen. And it hurt me. It hurt me because I'd have to deal with more damage after the fact. And, it, you know, it, you know, so your hiring process in the small business it's really important that you take the time to make the right hires for the right position. And if you make a mistake, you got to get rid of it quickly. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well, today I have two more questions that I think yeah. will, will be uh, really helpful. And so one, I love the fact that you have stated within the name of the company. So X, Y, so oxygen financial. So you're specifically focusing on one segment or one sort of population as I talk with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that are in business, they're super scared a lot to niche down and focus their business into one core area, into one main message, because they think, I guess, that they will lose out on so much. But you have focused on the X, XY generation, right? So oxygen financial. Uh, what thoughts or what feedback would you have, say, for a business owner, entrepreneur that is thinking through, like, why is it important to niche down from your perspective or is it? And what feedback would you give to somebody that might be kind of concerned they're going to lose business yep. if they do niche down? Well, uh, I've always been a big believer marketing wise that the more narrow your focus, the faster you can scale. So if you're like, oh, I'm going to sell my product to everybody in America. Well, that's, that's, that's a pretty big market. I mean, you got you to have a lot of money to be able to get that message out there. If you're going after a niche market, you can spend less money, get more hyper-focused, and generate a referral machine a lot quicker. I'll tell you factually on my journey here that we did. We started out as an XY company. And when I started the company, there were people that were 60 years old, and I literally turned them away from the company. Um, after a while, you start to say to yourself, maybe that's not so smart. And... Um, I can't remember whether we were <laughs> three years into this or four years into this, but uh, it's not that I still don't brand this as an XY company, but we, we don't turn away people who are 70 years old. If they really, it's like having Yeti and Yeti started out, I'm sure with a, uh, a certain segment of the marketplace, but maybe there are 80 year olds that like Yeti. Uh, Snapchat 
probably started out going after teenagers, but my mom's 77 and she uses Snapchat. Are they going to kick her out? No. So we worked our way backwards now because our Gen X clients that are 45 years old, they're now referring mom and dad who are 70 into our firm and, uh, or 75 or 80. And so. Great, great, great. So question here. So this is related, you know, obviously we're both in the financial industry and we're both focused on doing things socially and marketing, but so many advisors. So I guess this question is more to any financial advisor, somebody that's in the financial field that may be seeing this, hearing this, or looking at this in the future. Uh, so compliance, compliance related to kind yeah. of being social and being out there. Um, what feedback would you have to help say a financial advisor or somebody in the financial field that sees, okay, well, yeah, I could do more of this and it would be helpful, but I'm just so scared of compliance. Yes. Um, so I actually think this is pretty easy. And I know when people hear that, they're going to be like, come on, compliance sucks. They're like the, you know, business prevention department. Um, so number one is number one is that, most of the social media posts at work won't be financially related, okay? So <clears throat> a lot of social topics aren't financial. Consider the last party that you went to, consider the last family gathering. You know, people aren't in the corner, corner of the room saying, hey, uh, Ben, how's, uh, how did your small cap fund perform last quarter? You know, <laughs> people don't have, that's not a social conversation. So, if you stay away from securities related content and you realize that actually a bunch of your content doesn't even need to be financially related, you will be able to succeed and stay very compliant. A lot of things that I post have nothing to do with money. Uh, I'm doing a thing called Tesla Tuesdays now, um, you know, and I do a little video segment on LinkedIn and a lot of my topics have nothing to do with, you know, think about what you're doing. I mean, it's about inspiration and, and motivation and, and getting people to get excited about being a better self. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with financial stuff, but it, it, what it will do, and this is the key point, is that the main reason people work with financial advisors when I started in the business 25 years ago, and the main reason they work with them today is because they like them and they trust them. And that is what you're trying to build on social media. Can you get somebody to like you and trust you, which isn't necessarily connected to I'm a smart financial person. People can still like you and trust you and you don't have to be able to tell them what net unrealized appreciation is to make it work. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, you know that, that's, that's a key point. And if advisors do that, I don't care if they work at a big wirehouse or they're an insurance agent or they're an independent RAA, you don't have to worry about compliance clients at all because the regulators are concerned about the security information you're going to give away not if you're talking about you know leadership lessons for time management or stuff like that all right that's that's perfect that's perfect so great so from here we've really covered a lot and i want to you know thank you so much uh so from here if somebody wants to connect with you you know for for business or for what you're doing socially uh what, what's the best way for somebody to connect with you ted well, you, you mentioned this before, and um, <clears throat> you know, as a serial entrepreneur now, I've got a company called HyperChat Social. So if you just go to www.hyperchatsocial.com, I don't care if you're in the financial services industry or not, I have more than a thousand customers nationwide I help right now, 
do better with their social media, text marketing, uh, social media automation, direct lead generation. Um, and we, we help them try to do better with their marketing efforts. And uh, uh, that's been even more fun than the financial services business. And so it's the easiest way to connect with me because I, it's really my true love and passion in life is just uh, marketing and creating. I just love it. Very good. So that's hyperchatsocial.com. Yes. Yeah. Is that correct? That's and then right. obviously we'd be on Facebook as well. So hyperchat social. Yep. All right. All right. Perfect. And so what's, what's next for Ted, for Ted Jenkins? So what's next in the next you know, six months, a year, five years? What's the, what's, what's next? What are you working on? Well, um, I'm working on two things uh, on the, and they're both financially related. I'm working on an app right now that I'm almost done. That's called money peer. And uh, basically it will allow you to peer rank yourself against anybody in your area, budget wise, net worth wise, investment wise, so with AI today, I'm able to show a lot of data in there because there are families that say, we, we spend too much money on food. And my next question is would be, well, how do you know that? Uh, if you live in Charlotte and you spend $600 a month, what if you had the data that told you that the average family in Charlotte only spent $400 a month? And then what if we showed you how to shop your bills from there and save money? So it's, it, you'll see this probably in the next you know, three to six months come out. And then I'm going to launch a book along with that that's called The 21-Day Budget Cleanse. And uh, this is sort of my 21-day habit on how to completely cleanse your budget because I believe that the future in the financial services industry is going to be less around asset management. And I believe it's going to be more about cash flow management, that I believe that the struggles for families today aren't picking the right mutual fund. It's more that they have no idea where their money is going. And so uh, I'm, I, I believe that. We, we started a new thing inside of Oxygen called a budgetologist. Uh, you, can actually, <laughs> you can actually hire somebody who basically you pay a, a, a fee, has nothing to do with assets, and help them you know, become your personal budget counselor. And I think that that's, it's going to be a lot where, where the future is headed. Very cool. Very cool. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Ted, for your time. And we'd really definitely appreciate all of the information and the wisdom that you shared, a lot of the perspective. I'm sure this is going to help at least one person, but I'm sure a lot more. <laughs> well, thank you. And I appreciate your leadership that you have on LinkedIn. The posts are great. And uh, this is what it's all about. You know, we got to have an abundance mentality out there, guys. You know, even in our business, I see so many financial advisors that are worried that someone's going to get a client and they're not. I mean, there, there's so many people to work with, you know. We, we just have to help each other grow as people and leaders and entrepreneurs. And, and uh, there's, there's plenty of money to go around. I'd, I'd never worry about it. You know, uh, uh, just work hard and help people and, and good stuff happens, uh, you know, on the backside of this. Yeah, I actually, I like what you just said there. I, I can't remember if it was Gary Vee that said this, but I think that it was, but he said, whoever it was, I think it was Gary Vee. He said that success is something that is created in abundance most people are not going to take action on it anyways. So, right. but some people will, but did you're, you meet, did you meet Gary V yet? I know you're on the Gary V hunt. Have you met Gary V? I have not met Gary V in person. Okay, I got it. I got it for you. If it doesn't happen by mid this year, you come to Atlanta and I have a way for you to meet Gary V. 
okay. in, in Atlanta. I've got one with you. I want to meet Elon Musk. So I'm on the other side of it. <laughs> you know, Elon Musk. So uh, Tony, so I'll put, so Tony J. Salemi is in LinkedIn Mastery. Okay. Yeah. Tony Salemi, you should connect with Tony Salemi. I'll, I'll connect you both. All right. He may be able to help with that. And yeah, so when now the you have a particular event mid year? Yeah, there's something that I'm doing uh, next year, this year called the CRISP. It's C R I S P Game Changer Summit. It's a it's a legal summit, but a client of mine runs the legal summit. I spoke at it last year. I'll be speaking at it this year. And the two keynote speakers are Gloria Allred and Gary V. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, so just so you can see how all this works socially, right? You connect, you connect at scale, you create value and opportunities come up. So that's a phenomenal organic example. That would be really cool. Yeah. So, but, uh, but great. So phenomenal. Well, we'll continue to connect and this was, was really awesome. So thank you so much, Ted. All right. Thanks. And good luck, everybody. Connect up with me anytime and any way I can help, just let me know. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Mastery, where entrepreneurs go to network and learn how to attract their ideal clients via LinkedIn and broker powerful connections worldwide. Be sure to visit us at LinkedIn Mastery on Facebook. Be sure to replace the Y with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery. Enjoy this sneak peek of the upcoming episode. And if you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe so you get first notification of all upcoming episodes. And if you really like us and you want to help more people hear us, be sure to write a review, a five-star review, and let everybody know how Errol helps entrepreneurs. So, so who I am is a person who's been through a lot from being shot, uh, to uh, building businesses, to losing them, to almost losing my marriage, to finding it, you know, to beating addictions, to really going through the serious muck, to climb out and say, I made it, and you can too. <laughs>